if we think about learning, learning is full of mistakes. It has to be, right, to learn. And you don't make those mistakes in private when you're in your classroom. You make them in front of your teacher and your peers. Like you have to be willing to be vulnerable in your classroom to learn. And if students aren't taking risks, they're not learning. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. Oh my goodness, you are going to love this episode. It is jam-packed full of strategies to implement a sense of belonging, trust, and joy among your students of any age. We interview Katie Couples. Katie is a wonderful educator who taught second grade and was an instructional coach before going out on maternity leave to take care of her new baby and her toddler. Katie is really knowledgeable about how to implement classroom community, how to think through classroom management and behavior, and we touch on all of these in today's episode. You're going to hear about Katie's strategies for implementing things like character conferences, her two by 10 strategy for connecting with students. She also shares her morning meeting strategies and Megan and I reflect on how we would implement that in the upper grades, me as a fifth grade teacher and Megan as even a high school teacher, where we can just bring bits and pieces of this classroom community into play to make our students feel safe and create a space that's really just safe for learning and making mistakes. Katie also shares about what it means to really look at the function of a student's behavior in a way that helps us actually understand how to take action. She gives some simple strategies for tracking student behavior and responding, and we hope this episode will help you survive the rest of the school year, help you implement some pieces of this classroom community and relationships throughout the rest of the school year so you can enjoy yourself and your students can enjoy themselves in your classroom, and then you can have a fresh start with implementing these strategies once next year hits, which is one of the best parts of teaching is that we get a fresh start every year. If you've ever been required to attend a PD that had nothing to do with your subject area or that was taught by someone who hasn't stepped foot in a classroom, you understand the mission behind our peer learning platform, Pop PD. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our beta platform now at poppd.co and join the waiting list to be one of the first to try the new version of our platform when it's released by visiting poppd.co slash waiting list. Welcome, Katie, to the Extracurricular Podcast. We're excited to have you here and to talk about your journey with education and all about classroom community, which we know teachers are excited to hear about, especially this time of year as we're rounding the corner out into summer and we're just trying to get through the days, I'm sure. So really excited you're here and would love to start by hearing, how did you know you wanted to become a teacher? Oh yeah, it's kind of a windy path, so I will try to sum it up. But I come from a family of teachers, like both my parents are teachers. So I think if you asked me when I was seven or eight, like I would have said, absolutely, I want to be a teacher. But then like, you know, I have teenage years and like all 
thought there'd be a lot of other cool jobs to have. But when I got to college, I didn't actually major in education. I majored in international studies because I was interested in global cultures and I wanted to work in a nonprofit and support people around the world. But I had a minor in education, and that's where I really started to dig deeper into the issues of educational inequity and realizing just how pervasive that was. And that was when I really realized that if I wanted to make a difference in the world, like that's how you do it, by being a teacher. And so it kind of came back full circle to what my roots were and what I think I always knew in the back of my mind and in my heart that I wanted to do with my life. And so I actually joined Teach for America. I did second grade teaching for seven years, I think, before becoming an instructional coach. So kind of a windy road, but also kind of full circle. Amazing. We don't have this on our list, but I would love to hear just a little bit about Teach for America. What was that like? I applied and I didn't get it. I think, I mean, I had a good experience. I taught in Las Vegas for two years. And one of the nice things about my experience with that was I had so much support in my first two years of teaching. Like I had a mentor who was assigned to me to come into my classroom. I had like PDs with a huge cohort of teachers who were going through first and their first and second years of teaching at the same time as me. So it was just this built in support system and community, which was really awesome because I know a lot of beginning teachers just don't have that. Amazing. What a great way to start. And community being a key part of yes. that. So, <laughs> totally. so we know that that is a like real passion area of yours. It sounds like that is kind of already infused in a lot of the experiences that led you into the classroom. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about kind of how community became such a sticking point for you in your classroom, why that was so important? Yeah, definitely. I think first community kind of feels like a buzzword. I feel like we always say like community, what, like, but what does it mean? So my working definition of community, which, you know, is evolving over time, but the way I define it is it's the learning environment that teachers cultivate alongside their students and families to promote a sense of belonging, safety, and joy in everyday teaching and learning. So like, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about community. It's really that foundational element of your classroom that's kind of like underlying everything you do in your room. Say those three words again. Belonging. Safety. And safety. Joy. And joy. I'm writing that down. I think it was always, I mean, when I think about the reasons why I went into education, like I said, I wanted to make a difference and, you know help make the world a better place. (laughs) Like, I think that when I think back to that passion, a lot of that comes down to classroom community. It was always that passion for me. And it was a strength for me. Even in my first years of teaching, I was, I had never heard the term social emotional learning in my first years of teaching, but you know, I was trying to do character education and teach my students about things like optimism and gratitude, things that were not in the curriculum, right? And we were doing character conferences where students were like talking about what their strengths were um, and what they wanted to work on and how they could develop those skills in our classroom and in their lives. But over time, it really came down to three things, knowing that community has to be there for real learning to happen. Like, If we think about learning, learning is full of mistakes. It has to be, right, to learn. And you don't make those mistakes in private when you're in your classroom. You make them in front of your teacher and your peers. Like you have to be willing to be vulnerable in your classroom to learn. And if students aren't taking risks, they're not learning. So I knew that community and trust and relationships had to be the most important thing in my classroom if I wanted my students to actually make academic progress. But I also knew. And saw over time that when I had that strong community in place, it helped with my classroom management because it made it so that I didn't have to work so hard on reacting to things and responding to things because I was continually preventing behavior challenges and disruptions by just focusing on these core elements of my community. But I think the biggest thing for me really goes back to that 
like lifelong impact that community can have on students. And when I think about really what it means if every student were to to learn in a classroom where it was a compassionate classroom community where they felt like they had this true sense of belonging, where they were taught social emotional skills, where they had that trust in those positive relationships with their peers and their teacher, like what it would mean for when they left our school system, right? If they had that experience in every classroom all along their trajectory through our, through our system, what that would mean for when they leave school and when they go into the world, they would have all of these tools ready to go make their difference and their mark on the world. And for me, that always transcended those academic and those behavior classroom management benefits. It's really about teaching the whole child and equipping them to be successful with all of the skills they need to lead happy and successful lives. I wonder if we all thought back to the teacher or the classroom where we did feel that sense of belonging and trust. I bet I could think back and sort of identify like, yeah, they did have some of those same characteristics where they were really trying to infuse that trust or create that environment. I didn't realize it as a student. I just know it was my best year ever. I just loved that Mm -hmm. teacher. I loved that classroom. But I bet if we thought back, we could identify some things. So many things I want to dig in on there. First, we have to know, and I know that people will ask if I don't ask this, character conferences, please spill. What are those? Can you dig into those a little bit? Yeah, I honestly only did them in those first years of teaching because then teaching got really busy and it was like, ah, how do I fit everything in? So like, if this is something that feels like totally not doable in your school day, that's valid. But if you feel like you have time and you want to try it out, what I did was I had one-on-one time with students and that's always the tricky part, right? To find time to talk to them one-on-one and we would sit down and we already had this shared common language about all these different character strengths, which now I really would call them social emotional skills. And the students would then be able to tell me like what they felt like they were really good at and like how they knew they were really good at that and then what they wanted to work on in the classroom. And we talked about some tangible ways that they could develop that skill and to work on that and how they could what they could do in the classroom or at home to develop those skills. We jotted it down on a little paper that they got to keep. Um, I think we actually put it on their desk. So something that they could see all the time. But I'm sure there are a lot of different ways that you could make it something that they could revisit often. And it was just a way to make that work tangible and not just like this thing that we talk about for five minutes at the beginning of the day and then move on. It was something that was both of our jobs all the time to be working on. I loved it. I wish I did it all the way through my teaching career. And how powerful to do something like that where, I mean, there are adults who struggle to do Mm -hmm. that kind of activity, right? I struggle. Right. Like (laughs) to to think like we all do, right? Like it's because it's hard. It's always hard, I think, to have that layer of self-awareness and Mm -hmm. self like reflection about like who you are and what you're doing and what you can do to be better so to instill that in really young children is a really really those were second graders right Mm -hmm. so what kinds of things what were they saying like how what were they working on I mean, it was lots of different things. And I think the hard thing is this is their time to d- choose what they want to work on, right? So I can't be like, I think that you need to. <laughs> it was really like a collaborative conversation. And, you know, I might be able to nudge if it was appropriate and they were open to it. But I'm trying to remember what all of our different strengths were that we were talking about. But it was things like hard work and perseverance, self control, gratitude, optimism like empathy, like those different things. And so they would be able to say like, I think I need to work on self-control because, you know, during like math time, I'm like getting really distracted during lessons or during my work time. So it was interesting to see what they would come up with. And it was always something that was always important to me was having 
them justify, right? Like, I'm not just going to pull something out of the air. It has to be something that I can link back to action and behavior. And so that was, it was really great to have those conversations with them. Like I said, not always easy to find the time, but really powerful. Yeah. And you could probably use, I can imagine that it probably started out a little silly with second graders of like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just work on self-control and not really understanding. But the more you did the conferences, they probably were able to tie it, especially if you could then give them that specific feedback. Like, oh, Joey, mm-hmm. I know you were working on self-control. I see you. Like, I see you doing mm-hmm. that. It makes feedback so much easier because you've already had that time to pinpoint that with them. And they know that they're working. Just the fact that a second grader can look inside themselves and think about how they're showing up in the world, that is amazing. And I love how concrete that definition of community is. I'm in a Mm -hmm. space where I feel I belong and I'm safe and I can explore ways to improve. That is just mind blowing. And to celebrate the things they're already doing well, right? To, yeah. It wasn't just like, this is what you need to do better at, but it was also a moment to say like, I am so good at showing optimism or whatever it was. Like they would be able to celebrate that and see that good thing within themselves too. All right. So tell us, was there a time when you felt like in your educator journey, we talk a lot on this podcast in particular about what it means to be a forward thinking educator. And you mentioned that SEL really wasn't like a thing or, you know, maybe character traits was a thing, but this wasn't already something that was embedded in your day. Did you struggle at all, both like being a forward thinking educator and trying these strategies out, being new to the classroom? What would you say was your biggest struggle along the way in your journey as an educator, especially in those beginning years for the teachers who are newer or struggling or going through something? When I was a new teacher, when I was working in my building, I was trying to make time for these things. And I think a lot of times it was with the teachers on my team, they didn't really want to do these things in their classrooms. And that was fine. But I think that sometimes it was causing some friction of like, how are we going to really truly collaborate if we have just different ideas about what we want to have happen in our classrooms? And it's okay to have different like perspectives on what's important and different teaching styles. But I think I was often feeling like it was a waste of time for me to do these things or that it wasn't going to help improve behavior or it wasn't going to make a difference. Like, you know, it's, they're not going to care about that. And I really truly believed that they would care about that and that it would help and that it was important. And looking back, I can tell in my classroom that that was, that was true, that it was important for us to do those things, but it was hard to feel like, other people didn't think that it was as important as I did. And that was hard for us to then have a really productive relationship, I think, at times, so that we were always feeling like we were on the same page, you know? Later in my classroom, I really feel like I saw how this came to life was in our morning meetings. And I don't, I never really did like a very specific type of classroom morning meeting. I always like simple as better. We would do like, let's quickly go over what our day is going to look like. And then let's a moment to share. So I would always have my students, each student had a day in the week that they got to share something with the class. And it was always their day. Like I always know on Mondays, I have a moment to share anything I want with the class. And then they would get to then choose two people to either the students would ask a question or give a comment. And it was amazing to see what that did for my classroom and how the students were interacting with each other during those morning meetings. Just the real interest they shared in their classmates and the connections they wanted to make with each other. When we focused, we took that time to focus on nothing academic and just purely tell us 
anything going on in your life that you think we want to know about. It can be something small like what you ate for breakfast today, or you had, you know, you played your favorite video game last night, or, you know, you're going to a birthday party this weekend. It can be anything or it can be something hard, like my dog is sick or whatever it is. It didn't matter, but it was just a space for kids to know that on this day, I have my time to shine. The whole class is going to listen to me and I can tell them something and watching them care about each other and watching them communicate and interact with each other was amazing. Because the character conferences took so much time, I'm realizing that one of the places that I embedded this work later that made it so it was a little more doable and sustainable long-term was I did at the end of my morning meetings have a time for students to just goal set for the day. So they would turn to a person next to them in our circle and share something they wanted to work on that day. And that was another place where I'm like hearing these conversations where, you know, all I'm doing is giving them a sentence stem. And they're saying things like, today I'm going to work on like really working hard because, you know, I've been struggling with my math facts. And today I want to just make sure I keep working hard on them and I don't give up. And just hearing them say those things and then supporting each other. Amazing. What I really like about the way you just kind of, you know, worked through that, you were kind of reflecting, right, on all, yeah. even as you were talking there about kind of the strategies you were using is you notice like, you know, morning meeting is, is a pretty, I think, common term, right? A lot of mm-hmm. elementary you know, students and teachers are, are doing some kind of morning meeting or even in a high school class, right? When you first start off, you're kind of doing, maybe it's a shortened version, but you're kind of doing yeah. like a little warm up intro piece. You took that as a space to kind of carve out, like, how can I embed some kind of community element in mm-hmm. here? And you made it really easy for yourself. We're going to set the schedule. Everyone knows what day they have. And we have Mm -hmm. a set format of one person shares a question and comment, two things, and then we're moving on. So you established this like very simple thing into a routine that was like pretty familiar, not only in the Mm -hmm. building, but, you know, with other teachers, with your students. And and you made it just a a regular part of what you were doing. And then also Mm -hmm. tying it into, you know, this expanding and contracting sense of if I have some more time. Maybe I'm looking to fill a couple hours. We can do those great character conferences and I get the one-on-one. But I also know I have that shorter strategy that I've embedded in my day to fall back on. So I think that's really neat that you are kind of playing around with the different formats of like, how can I not like sneak this in, but like, how Mm -hmm. can I find space for this thing that I think is really important for myself and my students to kind of connect over? That's really neat. Katie, how much time do you think, because I know if I was listening to this, I'm on my way to school and I'm thinking, oh gosh, yeah, I've heard more. I've heard about morning meetings. It was something I've always wanted to do, but you know, I just don't have the time or especially in those upper levels. I know this will be a stretch to think about, but like, you know, in high school, what do they have? What, how much time do you have with your kids, Megan? Like what? 40 minutes? Um, depend- yeah. Usually around 50 minutes, Sometimes a little bit longer of a block, but yeah, about 50 minutes. I'm curious, like, if anybody has any thoughts about what that might look like at the high school level. And is it like a, is it a full class-wide thing? And what are, what are the most important pieces that we need to get in, in a morning meeting? What really, let me narrow my question down first, Katie, what do you think really is at the core of a morning meeting? What is the purpose? What is a sole purpose? Then we can maybe take that purpose and think about how it could look across grade levels. But like, why are you there? What is the point? Yeah, I think that in an ideal world, it's bigger than this, right? But at the core, the most important things that I think you need to have in your morning meeting are just going over the schedule for the day so that there's no surprises. I think that's the biggest thing is that it helps students set up for success if they know what's coming up during the day. They either know it's a normal day or they know that, oh, we have an assembly today or there's, you know, we're doing an activity after lunch. Whatever it is, they have an idea moving forward. It's going to reduce anxiety for students. It's going to help set them up for success and they're going to feel more confident and safe in their classroom. And then for older kids, you know, kids could even 
read the schedule. Second graders, I would tell them what was happening. Then we had that share time. And like, I tried to make it faster by only having a couple kids share each day, depending on how many students you have, you might have more or less, but I normally had four or five students sharing each day in, in that morning meeting. And then that goal setting piece just to set up for like, okay, let's now plan for our day. How are you going to show up as your best self today in our classroom so that you are going to learn at your best and feel your best and help your classmates learn the most, the most that they can too. I really, I really think that those are the three most important things. And I don't think that takes a ton of time, maybe 10 minutes, depending on how quickly you can move them through their responding to each other. Yeah. You'll have to cut them off. Like I, as you're saying, like four to five kids are going to share a thing. I, I mean, I definitely value classroom community, but I'm already like rolling my eyes like, oh gosh, I can't <laughs> wait to like hear about their dog that died five years ago. Like, but it's but, valuable time. Yeah. But if they know they have it every week, yeah. also, mm-hmm. it doesn't turn into this like, I have to, this is my only moment that I have everyone's attention. Like, I know that I have more time next week. And the more that you do it, the more that they know, like, how much time they have and how much they can share at the high school level. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm curious about Megan's thoughts, but like you could call it something cooler, obviously like a brief or like (laughs) something like that. And I'm wondering how you think, like just in hearing that, how either of you think, what would the, what would the share out be? Or like, what's the core purpose of the share? It's to make students feel seen and heard and have the opportunity. And it's also in little kids probably speaking and listening and like collaboration yeah, skills. I use, I use that time to do speaking and listening. Like I would listen to them, use a checklist. It was a great time to just notice what they were doing with those skills. What's on the checklist? It was this, like the common core standards. So it was like, are they, you know, following our rules? Are they raising their hand? Are they responding with full sentences? All that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. So speaking and listening skills in the ELA classroom, Megan, come on, what you got for us? What would they do well, for I- a chair? I used to do a writing prompt. I did that um, for a bunch of my, when I was teaching, I was a high school English teacher. So I taught seniors and sophomores. And it was actually interesting to see the two, because seniors and sophomores are pretty different in high school, right? (laughs) Like it's only two years, but there's a lot that happens between, you know, those two. But um, it was was a really nice way where I would usually spend about five to 10 minutes max on it, depending on what we were doing. Sometimes the prompt would be related to the class and sometimes it would be super wacky. Like, if you could fill a swimming pool with any substance and swim in it, what would it be? And we, you know, kind of mm-hmm. use that. But like, it was a great way to like transition them into the room because when you have older kids who are moving from room to room, like just getting them in your space and feeling like we're here together, I think is a good one. And then like a little bit of quiet for them to sit and write their thoughts. You get a little mm-hmm. bit of the writing going, getting the juices flowing in that sense. And then, yeah, having this kind of mix of prompts where like some of it is personal, some of it's, you know, funny, some of it's related to the topic, right? Sometimes they were more academic, but just getting them to like, kind of have some time to themselves to think. And then we would kind of just share a couple people out. I would really try and rotate some people through. Cause obviously you usually have, you know, the same kids who are like shooting their hand up and, and wanted to share, but, um, not quite the ability to like do every single person, but mm-hmm. every time or, or a more regular schedule, at least I didn't follow that, but I think kind of similar in a lot of ways to like have, have people sharing, have people like even just taking the time to have that self-reflection and, and noticing that sometimes those individual like internal moments can really then reflect positively out into the rest of the community. So I, I think having that sense too, of thinking, not is it only like when we're sitting all together and we're all talking about the same thing at the same time as a class building that community, but also like, how can you get students to think 
and be thoughtful about how they're themselves and how they act as individuals then positively, you know, um, contribute to that community, I think yeah. is kind of a cool balance. And so that's, that's kind of some of the stuff that I, I, I would do um, just in my it, own. Yeah. It's so interesting that elements don't really change. And if we think about what we're preparing them for as adults, I know when I sit down to do my work day, if I don't have a minute, just a minute to like chill, relax, reflect, like just mm-hmm. think like it's your, whether it's your car ride on the way to work, you're grabbing your coffee, you're walking in and nobody's talking to you. Or like you sit down and you're like, just taking a deep breath first. It's like, it's a deep breath really for the day. And then setting a goal and an intention for yourself for the day. That's what we do as adults at work. So we're starting in second grade with like this share out where kids want to be heard and they're practicing speaking and listening. And and they have this space to like think and reflect at a very, you know, second graders being able to goal set is huge. And then we move them into high school where maybe that's more of a quiet self-reflective time, which is more reflective of what they might do in in their adult work experience. And then I think with high school too, and at least with fifth grade, this this was already sort of happening. If we couldn't get a meeting in every day, we would do like a Friday circle. And I think the physical mm-hmm. space matters both in, in second grade, fifth grade, and high school, the way that they're sitting. And if there's any time you can carve out where they're sitting in a circle and having a discussion yeah. together as a community, whether that's morning meeting or in, in high school, it's just like, you know, once a week in fifth grade, it's once a week, twice a week, a space where they're sitting and reflecting together and a space where they're sitting and reflecting on their own. So important. Those skills are needed as you go into your career and we're preparing kids to be ready for the future. So I love all of that. I'm curious what your colleagues thought as you started to implement morning meeting. Like, were your colleagues starting to kind of peek in and say, wow, I see like Katie's really rocking this. Wow, how is she getting her kids to do that? Is it maybe those morning meetings? Do I want to try that? Like, did you see that influence spreading? I can't remember what other people's morning meetings looked like at that time. I know that there were other morning meetings happening in my school, and it was really cool. I remember as an instructional coach, one of the things that I was able to do, even specifically, I love to help teachers go watch each other teach. So I would go cover their classes so that they could go learn from their their peers. But I had teachers who would go watch other teachers' morning meetings and just like see how do they start their morning? Because like you said, Alyssa, the morning is so important for how you're setting up for your day. And so I know it was happening outside of my classroom too. And it was great to be able to both learn from people in my building and also help when I became a coach, help them learn from each other. Yeah, I love what you just said, Megan and I. I know we both love what you said there because one of the, the one of the reasons we started Pop PD is because we think that the best learning we always say come comes from the teacher down the hall. The best mm-hmm. learning. I had this like blue notebook that I just would fill up with ideas when I went to other classrooms. These little nuanced things like how the kids are sitting, what the space mm-hmm. is set up like, what the yeah. teacher is saying, like the nuance of how they're running their morning meeting, and. All of that is so important and it starts to spill over from classroom to classroom. We see mm-hmm. what's working there. Okay, it spills over into my classroom. Oh, how'd you get your kids to do that? Oh, it spills over into the next classroom. And if we could do that globally instead of just within a, a specific school, it's so yeah. exciting. I, and, and I think what's useful too to consider is how it doesn't have to be this huge change or this huge different thing, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. So you might walk into somebody's classroom and you'd say, wow, this is really different than what I'm doing. But if you can just kind of notice like the small pieces of what's different, like Alyssa, you said the nuance. I think that that's what we sometimes forget about teaching. I know I certainly did, especially as a new teacher, when you're just like, 
I got to figure this whole thing out and everybody else is doing it great and I'm doing it right. terribly. <laughs> but it's like, what, is there a word or a phrase you mm -hmm. could use with your students that would change things? Is there, as you said, like a way that you could set up the physical space that would change things? Like trying just like one of these things and yeah. thinking about how that can have a reaction, like picking the perfect word for how you want to have students think about a certain concept and like use that to center your community around can actually really make a big difference. So even like this time of the year, right? We're talking about it's spring, half an eye on like the end of the school year coming up. Half but an it's eye. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Now. But is there, is there one word, phrase, you know, five minute segment in your classroom that you could kind of like be inspired by somebody else or get that idea and just try it yeah. and have that, yeah. you know, see, see what it does, right? Think of thinking about it as an experiment. Yeah. yeah, I think that is is a really cool way, and 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 you know, being exposed to what other teachers do, are doing really helps with that. You know, because you think, well, mm -hmm. I always thought about it with this term or this this way of doing it, but if you're exposed to a couple different options, you see, well, you know what, I think this one might work for me. Yeah, and and allows you to kind of choose and figure out what those little little mm -hmm. fine tuning tweaks are to kind of refine your own you know habits mm -hmm. and practices and routines and all that. Yeah, the tricky thing is yeah. some schools are not set up. And like what Katie was mentioning is really amazing that you were able to cover classes and let teachers go see what one another you know are doing is amazing. My school didn't have that when I first started. And so there was no way to go see, you know, there's no way unless you I was gonna like leave my class and go peek at my neighbor when she was doing maybe. Right. We ended up doing something where like uh, teachers from other schools would get a day, teachers from other districts would get a day to come into our district and see what we were, what certain classrooms were working on. But that more had to do with like, we had, we had bought into the same curriculum and they were coming to see how we were implementing that curriculum. So it's just sometimes not these opportunities, which is why we have this podcast, which is why we have pop TV so that you can get a peek into other classrooms. And I think that's why we love social media so much because yeah. teachers are taking their cell phones and they're putting them in the front of their room, you know, not at students, but like at themselves and they're recording. Here's how my morning meeting sounds and here's what you can do. Now we've got on a whole tangent, but I do want to bring us back with a, with a quick story of when this happened to me, when I was a brand new teacher, I bought a carpet from Lowe's with my own money. It was like $100, which felt like a million dollars to me at the time. I loved this carpet, okay? It was black with like these white polka dots. I don't know where it is today. Somebody probably got lucked out and got my carpet. But <laughs> I dragged that thing down my long hallway to my fifth grade classroom, proud as could be, to set up my carpet for our circles and for our read-alouds. And I remember that the fourth grade teacher, who I loved dearly, by the way, but I didn't know her at the time, came in my room and she was like, your kids are not going to sit on that carpet. You know that, right? And I was like, yeah, yes, they are. And she was like, they're too big. Like, they're too big. They're, they're, they're going to sit at their desks. And I was like, okay. And I just kept going kind of like, all right. Her name actually is Karen. It's just kind of funny to this day. I love you, Karen. <laughs> a week later, or maybe not a week later, like a month later, Karen came in my classroom and she was like, I think I'm going to get a carpet. I love the mm. way your kids are sitting on the carpet. and They're really listening to you and they're all engaged and they're paying attention and they're doing these meetings. I'm going to get a carpet. And it's like just that small moment of also being vulnerable of saying like, oh, you know what? I kind of laughed at you about your carpet, but now I'm going to try this, that one little thing. And I think yeah. that's amazing. And, and Karen and I came, became like really close friends and would kind of pop between each other's classrooms and share ideas. But as a new teacher, 
what would you say if you could go back and give advice to a new teacher who's ambitious and feeling excited and walking down that hallway with their carpet, but maybe like nervous about all the things they have to do or the resistance they may feel from their colleagues or trying to implement classroom community or when I've got all these other academic things to do, what advice would you give Katie to that new teacher? Oh my gosh, there are so many things I would say to myself as a new teacher looking back if I could. But I think one of the biggest things I would say is just like, you can't do it all and you don't need to do it all to be a good teacher. Like just to focus on doing my best to do the things that I think are the most important and to fit them in, in the ways that I can. We've been talking a lot about like, yeah, I don't have a lot of time in my day. I have so much curriculum to cover. How am I ever going to do these other things that are not on my those called pacing calendars and those kinds of things. How am I going to fit this stuff in? Thinking about ways that I could give myself permission to do what feels good and what feels important, but also know that like, I can't, I can't do it all and that that's okay. And that my best is going to look different on different days and different seasons and that things are going to ebb and flow and to be okay with that journey. Because I think we, sometimes we want to do it all and we want to do it the best the whole time we're just humans too. (laughs) So it's just, it's going to be what it is as much as we can try to do our best. It's going to look different in different days and different seasons. I love that. I think that it's, there are a lot of jobs like that where you could work 24, seven, 365, and it still wouldn't feel like enough. I've always felt like teaching. I've never had quite a job or experience, even as Alyssa and I are trying to, you know, create a company from scratch. Like, Teaching just feels so like I I want to push and do all that I can to be the best for these kids that are going to sit down in my room and look up at me like, what are we doing today? <laughs> and you just have to give yourself that moment. of It's hard to do. It's really hard to do in the moment. I can't say that I did it, it very successfully yeah. my first, second, third year in the classroom. But the, that grace that you kind of just <laughs> kind of explained, mm-hmm. Katie, I think is really huge of you can layer stuff in. You can get there if you just you know, prioritize in the moment and maybe those things change over time, but um, it's definitely a process that is hard to swallow, especially if you are a perfectionist, like I think a lot of teachers mm-hmm. end up being, or if you're so passionate, you know, you're so c- committed to those kids. Yeah. It's, it's hard, but it's like a constant reminder for yourself for sure. Yeah. Cause you're leaving stuff undone. Of course it feels mm-hmm. awful. Like there's no day as a teacher where we get to check off all the items on our to-do list. We never, ever, 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 ever do. Not even by the end of the school year. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just like constantly not feeling accomplished. How could you ever, can you imagine what job, like what job these lucky people, I think every other job get to cross off their to-do list at the end of the day and leave, push in their chair, (laughs) straighten their desk and leave feeling like, yeah, okay. Did my job today. Never one day. (laughs) Yeah. One day. All right. So let's shift a little bit into strategy, Katie. I want to, you told us about morning meetings. You told us about your character conferences, which we loved. Um, You also have something called a two by 10 strategy. We need to hear about that. What are some of your favorite tips for building that classroom community and that safe space for students to learn? Yeah. So the two by 10 strategy is one of my favorite ones to recommend that teachers try. It's all about connecting with students and building relationships with individual students. And this strategy works best for students that maybe you are having a hard time connecting with, a hard time reaching for whatever reason. And it's very simple. It doesn't take a lot of time in your day. We're talking about how busy teachers are, right? So this is not a hard strategy, not a lot of prep. All you do is choose a student, your target student. You make two minutes a day to talk to that student and you repeat that for 10 days. 
two minutes by 10 days, two by 10. And this conversation is not about behavior. It's not about academics. It's not contingent on behavior. It's not contingent on academics. It's just a time to connect and talk. You can talk about anything that student wants to talk about. If that student isn't going to you know, come with like, oh, I'm ready to talk to you. You can come with a fun question, kind of like Megan was talking about those, you know, get to know you kind of like icebreaker questions that are just fun or silly, or even just really simple, like what's your favorite food, right? Everyone's going to talk about their food and you can talk about your food and they can talk about their food and it'll be great. So it's very simple. And the thing I love about this strategy, it's not just like something that, you know, I've thought, oh, this be cool. It's like a research back strategy that supports like preventing behavior challenges, it can help to increase engagement and motivation, which then of course, you know, is going to lead to better academic outcomes. It is really like, do this strategy if you have any students in your classroom that you need to connect with, and you're just having a hard time. Highly recommend. So easy to wrap your mind around that. I love that. So simple. We did something very similar in my school. And I'll share just because I think this could be really cool for other schools to do. Uh, We did the principal pulled up all of, how did he do this? All the names of all the kids, K-5, and all the teachers voted. And it was something like, either like, I know who this kid is. I talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. I I think I, I know who this kid is. I could probably recognize them in the hallway or like, I have no idea who this is. At the end of the service, this is K-5, every kid that we like went through. I can't remember how we managed that at a pretty small school, but like it was a long, maybe we did it over the course of a couple faculty meetings, but he basically identified those middle kids, not the kids who Mm -hmm. everybody knows because they're like, you know, talking to the teachers all the time. They're like the adults, BFFs, not the kids who are like having such obvious behaviors that everybody knows of them. They have a reputation, which also kind of stinks. The middle of the road ones who are not getting noticed by any teacher K-5. And then he did the two by 10 strategy, but he gave every teacher someone who is not in their class. So your job was to find that kid in the hallway and say, love your shoes. How's your weekend? Hey, Johnny, you know what? Are you going to the football game this weekend? And get those middle of the road kids. And it was that same strategy and just how one impact that can have, whether you're a student who's built, who's got that reputation that you don't want to be tied to, or you're a student who's not getting noticed because you're just doing all the right things. And that's just not as obvious. Was there a what led you to have to start the two by 10 strategy? Was there a struggle you were having with a particular student or did you just find the strategy and were like, let me try this? It was definitely more of a, like, I got to try this out once I found it and was like, I, I need to do this with my students. Like you said, there's the middle of the road students too. So it's not just the students that it's like, okay, I need for our relationship to improve so that your behavior can improve so that our classroom can run more smoothly. Cause there's definitely those kids too, but it also was like you said, those quiet kids. And I think that's a takeaway. I would say, if you're listening to this podcast, go talk to your quiet kids today, check on yes. them, ask them how they're doing, just connect with them. Because like you said, Alyssa, they don't always get that attention because maybe they're not participating a lot, but they're also not like having big outbursts or big disruption, exactly. disruptive behavior. So those quiet kids, it's so important, but I'm trying to think if there was anyone in particular, but I can also actually, I had a student who I could tell he, he loved to talk and his behavior was always like interrupting, flirting, those kinds of things. And you could tell the function of his behavior was he was connection seeking. He wanted to connect with me. He wanted to connect with his peers. And so building in this intentional connection time that was not earned, it was not contingent on anything. It was just a time for him to have my undivided attention gold. It made such a difference for him to feel like he could then just kind of like listen and participate and not need to always be trying to connect with me. 
we've talked about community. So would you say like if we were to organize sort of all of this, this whole talk, like community is the sense that everybody is belong has belonging, you said belonging, safety and joy. But then when there's this layer of like, behavior. So students, particular students who are exhibiting a particular behavior that then contributes to that overall sense of safety and joy and belonging for everyone. You just mentioned function of behavior, which I think some teachers may definitely be, be familiar with, some may not. Some may only see it as something they're required to do as part of like a behavior plan. How can we understand what is function of behavior just to back up? And then how can that help us in our day-to-day teaching? Um, to understand the function of behavior, not just like something we write down as part of a behavior plan. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're looking at students and there's challenging behaviors in our classroom, whether they're really disruptive or they're just challenging for that student impacting their learning, it's important for us to take a step back and ask why. Like, why is this happening? And not just try to respond to it, but actually get to the root. Because that's where we're going to actually be able to create sustainable change is if we know why something is happening and then we can back up and say, what can I do before? Like, is there something like specific happening in the day that is causing, you know, anxiety, for example, like the reason they're acting up in writing is they don't feel like a good writer. Okay. Or, you know, whatever, it's something that is tangible that we can then counteract or prevent or put in some, some sort of extra support. If I know that they are, talking, I'm not going to think of another good example. Let's stick with the writing. (laughs) Like, I don't feel like a good writer. So like, I can go talk to that student, I can give them support so that they can feel successful during the writing time, we can set goals, we can have that connection time, there are a lot of different ways once I know, oh, you're doing this during writing time, because you don't feel like a good writer, or because you're anxious about writing. Now that I know that it's going to completely change the way that I am responding to your behavior. It's not just that you're trying to be disruptive. It's that you have this feeling that you're not good. And I can help with that. There's so many steps to get there. It's like, mm-hmm. first, what's like the behavior is the obvious thing, right? Like that's the, yeah. the obviously they're going, they keep going to the drinking fountain, they keep going to the bathroom, they're talking, they're up out of their seat. That's, that's the easy part. And then to narrow down, when is it happening? Oh, it's happening during writing time. You you have to be like a detective and then narrow totally. down, like, why, why could that be happening? Oh my gosh, they're avoiding because they don't feel like a good writer. And now what do I do? And it's not easy to do that work by yourself. So I would definitely say if you have a team who can help you with this, it's so helpful to have somebody else to be able to observe, somebody else to ask questions and help you to get there. Because it's not something that I definitely wasn't doing it successfully in my first years of teaching. You know, it took a long time to get there. And it also took that support from people who's like, this is their job. They are behavior experts. They know how to get there. Yeah. If you're lucky to have a behavior expert in your school. Right. I know. (laughs) Right. And, and Katie, you know, I guess, you know, with or without that help, were you tracking this in some way? Were you kind of jotting notes down to yourself? Because that's a lot to, you know, if you've got a lot of students in your class, whether it's one class or multiple classes in a day, like how, what would you be your recommendation for how someone kind of manages that on their end? Any kind of like tracking, note-taking situation that might help? Yeah. I mean, it depended on the student and like if they had anything formal set in place. So sometimes there were students who had, um, we were like checking in throughout their day and we were making notes just about like how different periods of the day went. Um, I even know like if you're tracking something really specific, like outbursts or blurting or something like that, there are a lot of different ways you can just tally. You can, um, I actually know a teacher who she put paper clips in one pocket and every time something happened, she moved a paper clip to the other pocket 
so that the end of, at the end of the time she had a pocket full of paper clips that said, okay, this one behavior that I was tracking happened like 10 times. I have 10 paper clips in my pocket. So there are a lot of different really not sneaky, that's not the right word, but just subtle. Not subtle. subtle. Thank you. Oh, subtle ways that you can you can take that data that's not going to interrupt your teaching. I love that. That's a that's a great example. Cause I know that when you're in the thick of a lesson, it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. to think, how am I supposed to track all of this stuff? And I think that yeah. example too is that teacher would track one behavior, mm-hmm. one student, or maybe if you're tracking, you know, class-wide or whatever, but yeah. you're, you're one thing at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Like one thing at a time. It can feel so overwhelming to think, I got to track everything for every kid now. What does that look like? Whatever, but just start with one place. And then I would say, have a, have a space where you know you're tracking it. Have one yeah. space where you know that's tracking. Um, I love a good spreadsheet i'm an Airtable fan you both know that <laughs> but like even an excel spreadsheet a google spreadsheet a freaking you know google doc with every kid's name listed where you can just mm-hmm. have a, a little bullet point but having a, a little trick or <laughs> you know paperclip <laughs> paperclip hack for yourself and then having some place to write it down um it's just is a way to start right it's a way yeah. to start and and you know just one at a time can help it feel a little less overwhelming I think it's overwhelming even just to notice like when you have 25 kids in front of you all day and you know them so well, but like, and you're seeing them every day, even just to notice specifically like what behavior it is that's making the disruption that's mm-hmm. causing the disruption or causing this like misalignment of the classroom environment. It's so hard just to notice sometimes because there's so much going on and, and you've got to say like, whoa, okay, I think it's this particular behavior yeah. I think I'm going to track this very simply. And then I've got to figure out what to do about it. And so I love what Katie said about like lean on your team, go to your team and say, I've got this, this thing happening. Like what haven't I tried yet can be, you can come up with ideas that you didn't otherwise think of. One of the other strategies we had on the list that I wanted you to talk about, Katie, was your positive calls and notes. And I wonder if even just this kind of goes more with your two by 10 strategy about creating those relationships before the behavior but could positive calls and notes even step in in a behavior when you're when you're tracking it and you're thinking like oh what's missing and you realize that maybe the function of the behavior is you mentioned earlier like i need that more positive i need some sort of positive something in my life could positive calls and notes contribute to that yeah and they're you know sister strategies so one you're calling home so you're making that positive relationship with the parent and the family but it's also you know, trickling down to the student. And then there's also just positive notes just for your student, right? I'm writing you a note that just says you're doing a great job today and I'm giving it to you and you know, you didn't earn it or anything like that. And they're both so important. I think that the positive calls, it can be, you know, another one of those things where it's like, yeah, it'd be nice if I had time to do that. But if you can try to decide when you're going to do it and schedule that into your week, like this is the time I make three positive calls. If you have a script where it's like, I've written down what I'm going to say, I know I'm going in and out five minutes, you call, you say, hello, this is your child's teacher. I'm calling with something great to share. I think sharing that first helps to like ease any anxiety the family might feel like I'm getting a call from the school. Oh no. Tell them right away. It's a positive call. Tell them what you noticed. I noticed today that Jack was doing a great job during math. This is why. And then say, and that's it. Could you please tell him how proud I am of him? I love having him in my class and I'm so lucky to be his teacher. Have a great night. And then like hang up. And if they want to talk about more things, you can say, I'd love to schedule a time to follow up on this with with you. But now I can't talk. So 
having that boundary, <laughs> knowing that it probably say it a different way than that, but <laughs> setting that boundary of like, I have like three minutes to make this phone call. If it turns into something and it's, you know, beneficial for you, of course you can stay on the phone. But I think having that script, that boundary and scheduling it can help to make that really doable. I love that. So that's more of like, so when, when you've, you've got the, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. You've got the classroom community for everybody. You've got these kind of like, I don't want to say preventative, but these like relationship or connection points that help students to feel that belonging and that joy and, and that trust. And then you're looping families in on that before you're even like thinking about noticing and tracking actual specific behavior, you're looping in families so that when there is a behavior and you've been tracking it and you're actually really struggling to come up with a solution, now you've got the families on board to hopefully, you know, get on, on board with you on trying to figure this out. Are there other ways in which you loop families in other than positive calls? Any other ideas? Yeah, I was really big on our weekly like classroom newsletters. So just a place to share what's going on in the classroom um, and giving a space, always a space for two-way communication. So on my newsletters, there was always a space for them to just like write something and send it back to always finding a way to make it easy for them to communicate with me about whatever they needed to. Our newsletters would share like upcoming dates of things that were going to be happening in the classroom. Like I said, what we're working on academically, as well as just like what's what they should know about what's happening in their classroom. And that was really something I enjoyed doing. It doesn't have to be weekly. It can be bi-weekly or monthly, whatever it is that feels right for your like workflow. But then also inviting families in to celebrate in the classroom. We would do this a lot, um, not just for like holidays, but like, which I actually didn't really do a lot of like parties with family members for holidays. But actually, like at the end of like a writing unit, we would bring in and invite the family, invite our like broader school community to come into our classroom so students could share their writing and they would get a chance to share with their peers, parents and family members would come and listen and just feel the pride in their work and bring in that community into our classroom. And I feel like saying the word community a lot, but now we're talking about the external community kind of feeding into our internal classroom community. I love that. We did, if you have older kids, I had my kids write the newsletter. I had a template. And yeah, they would fill it. in their own, like they, you know, we'd have the things that we were generally working as a class, but they would then fill in their own accomplishments for the week. And we would staple the um, newsletter on top of their work for the week. It was about the easiest thing I've ever done. I had the template ready to go. They filled out the most of the work. They actually did the stapling and the sorting because they have, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, best teaching tool of my life, $20 sorter that you buy on Amazon. I think Katie, you do this too. You number your students too, right? I did. Yeah. I remember them because it was just so much easier for like my system loving brain that like, I just, everybody had a number. They lined up yep. in their number order. Same. Like their backpacks were on numbers. Their mailboxes were like, it was just, it made it so much easier. Even oh if gosh, you don't. Here, the numbers, <laughs> it's like, it's such a small thing. It is a game changer, game changer. Yeah. Even if you don't like forwardly, like use the numbers, like in your classroom decor, you know, you could put their names, not their numbers, but like just having that system in your mind, I used it for everything from like, if I was going to grade students' papers, I put their papers in number order before I started grading them so that I could grade them and then put them in the computer because it was alphabetical. Just, it literally changed the yeah. game. Have the students collect the papers at the end of a, a session, have them collect in number order and then just shout number one, number two, number three, number mm-hmm. four. Now your papers just came back to you in ABC order. Bam. It's like the best trick. And that sorter from Amazon is numbered. So you just, 
you take their papers and you sort them behind their number. And then at the end of the week, instead of sending papers home every single night, at the end of the week, you pull that number out of the sorter, you staple it with the newsletter, you send it home, you've got your classroom community, you've got your classroom management, you've got all of the above with the numbers. Love it. So we talked about classroom community. We talked about classroom management. This episode has gone a, lo- a little longer than we, we meant to, but this was a great conversation. We talked about behavior. Is there anything else you would add before we wrap up the conversation? Any advice you would give teachers who are listening to this episode and they're like, yes, I think I grabbed like a strategy or two I could try, but I'm really still struggling with all of this stuff, making it all fit together. What advice would you give to a teacher who's trying to implement kind of all of these pieces to make their classroom environment feel more enjoyable for them and for their students? Yeah, I think that the biggest barrier is just like, how do I fit this in when I have so much to do? So just going back to how you can embed this work into your everyday teaching and learning, into your lessons, you are goal setting, into your lessons, you are modeling like social emotional skills, like you're modeling that metacognition and your metal, excuse me, you're modeling growth mindset. You're modeling this for your students just throughout your day. Even if you don't have the time for something separate, you are weaving it in by connecting with students. You're using their names in your math word problems. You are complimenting them and, you know, narrating their positive behaviors as they're moving through the classroom. There are so many ways that you can do this work without having extra time. So just know that this is doable. Even if you already feel like, well, my plate's already completely full. How am I going to do this work? It sounds important. It, you can fit it in just in those tiny moments and those, and that's enough. I love that. That's enough. Yeah. All right, Megan, you want to do the lightning round questions? Quick, 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 quick. Sure. Yes. <laughs> lightning round. All right. So what is your go-to activity or lesson when you're like, Ooh, we got a little extra time here, whether it's on a Friday or at the end of a class, end of a day, how do you kind of, what do you pop in with when you need something on, on the fly? Definitely a read aloud. Just have a stack of books that I love to read. Pick one up, read it. Boom. Love it. When in doubt, read. Love that. Yes. Can't go wrong there. (laughs) All right. Next one. What is the funniest thing that has ever happened to you in the classroom? This is the lamest thing ever, but I cannot think of like one specific really funny thing. So I'll just tell you instead. One way we had fun in our classroom is that I I remember being embarrassed about this as a teacher because one time my gra- a grandparent was like, I heard you sing a lot in your classroom. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I do. Um, but I was constantly just like singing and making up songs. Like we had a really great song that was about coming to the carpet to the tune of going to the chapel. Like it was just like fun for me. It was fun oh, for them. Like, Sing it. Come on. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. But, you know, Going just embedding that fun. And yeah, you got it. <laughs> she cracked the code, folks. Uh, really, just good songwriting. Love it. That's amazing. So your your students, your former students might say that the, that was some of the funniest stuff that happened in yeah, the Yeah, right. Probably the really bad songs I was singing. <laughs> there you go. Love it. Um, and then last... What is the uh, what is your favorite game to play in the classroom? Another time filler, but 20 questions. So just to guess a mystery student, I would pick a student, we would sit in a circle, and then students would have to guess what student I was thinking about. So easy. And they loved asking those questions and figuring out and if, oh, it was me. It was me today. And it was just always fun. Oh, my gosh. So great. So Love such it. a classroom community thing to do, Katie. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really fun. I loved all the little tips and tricks that I think teachers can turn around and use uh, in their classrooms. We appreciate you being here and sharing a glimpse into your teaching practice. Where can teachers kind of like find you and connect with you um, if they have questions after after this episode? Well, by the way, let me just throw a quick quick little um, ad in here. We have our podcast community put together. So actually, if you have a thought or a question about this episode, you can go into our podcast community 
and drop it in a comment underneath where this episode is published. So you can, I'm answering the question for you. You can connect with Katie there. You can <laughs> yeah, tag absolutely. her, you can ask her questions. You can ask us questions. That's at poppd.co slash podcast. And yeah, anywhere else you would love for listeners to connect with you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm there at Katie Couples Creative. Perfect. Thank you so much, Katie. And we appreciate you for being here. Thanks, Megan. Of course. Thank you. See you guys next time. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode or thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode. We'll also pop in with a fun question every Sunday night, like, what's your most embarrassing teaching moment? We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes, bonus content, and discussion prompts at poppd.co slash podcast.